This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. In 2015, ASEAN launched an ambitious regional economic integration plan that would see the 10 member states united under one ASEAN economic community by 2025. Collectively, the ASEAN market represents the third largest economy in Asia. In 2017, its combined GDP was 2.8 trillion US dollars. The prospect of economic integration and a single market meant that all of ASEAN's potential could be fully tapped. There was progress towards this aim, albeit at a slower pace due to the economic slowdown. Back in December, the ASEAN Development Bank projected a 4.9% GDP for ASEAN in 2020, compared to an estimated global GDP figure of 3.6%. Things seemed pretty good for ASEAN. And then the pandemic hit and all the forecasts have gone out the window. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, and today on Spotlight, what is ASEAN doing as a bloc in response to COVID-19? And wither the ASEAN economic community? Since the global outbreak of COVID-19, there have been over 230,000 confirmed cases within ASEAN countries. In a region that is home to some 650 million people, at first glance, that number isn't too alarming. But when we consider how rapidly COVID-19 has spread in more developed parts of the world and taking into account the disparate development levels among ASEAN countries, including healthcare capacity, the risks for a widespread pandemic remain heightened and can't be overstated. Individually, each country is taking measures to flatten the curve of infection and prop up ailing economies stymied by lockdowns and closed borders. But how is ASEAN as an intergovernmental grouping which professes the aim of ASEAN economic integration by 2025, responding to the crisis. Has there been a ramping up of cooperation to combat COVID-19? First, I speak to Ben Bland, director of the Southeast Asia Programme at the Lowy Institute. How would you assess the level of ASEAN cooperation in response to the pandemic? Well, ASEAN's cooperation has been rather limited, which I think is what we would expect for the most part, health um, is understood to be a national sovereign issue within ASEAN. So it's been governments front and centre. But I think it has been slightly disappointing to see the lack of coordination when it comes to things like border shutdowns, etc., which have been done unilaterally across the world. That's not unique to ASEAN, but we've seen the same kind of actions taken by each country without reference um, to the others. But there have been some efforts to at least talk about the way forward in terms of distribution of vaccines, management of borders, and flow of trade in goods. And there have been some signs of neighborly cooperation as well. Um, Singapore and Malaysia have worked together at times to help repatriate their citizens. Obviously, there's been some progress recently there on ensuring some sort of green lanes um, to open up cross-border travel as well. So I think it's been patchy and it's mostly been a story of countries either doing their own thing or working together. And ASEAN as an organization has been mostly out of the picture. How do we account for the lack of response then, given that ASEAN as a multilateral grouping has one of the busiest calendars and has kept up its grueling schedule of meetings even with the COVID-19 crisis? Does this say something about the structural limitations within ASEAN? I think we see much um, of what we've seen before, which is that ASEAN remains um, inadequate and yet indispensable. So I think if ASEAN wasn't there and there wasn't a certain level of coordination and information sharing, things would probably be even worse 
and more concerning. So, so it's good that there is a certain level of cooperation, but there's always that sense of ASEAN, like given the, the velocity and regularity of the meetings, there isn't really as much value that's got out of it, simply because at the end of the day, um, the countries of Southeast Asia aren't willing to pool enough sovereignty and decision-making power, and they're not willing to put enough money into ASEAN to really give it powers to, to resolve these sorts of cross-border issues. But I think we have to understand the global context that looking across the world, even at the European Union, for example, a far more integrated regional organization, it's largely been countries leading their own response there too. So I think it's a global trend of unilateral response. And for the most part, regional organizations, multilateral organizations like the WHO have really been on the sidelines as national governments have been front and center in the response to the coronavirus pandemic. How has ASEAN been engaging with its external partners, though? Has there been much opportunity for cooperation as a bloc, or is it also more focused on bilateral cooperation? I think we've seen, we've seen both. Uh, we've seen China, Japan... Um, Korea engaging through the ASEAN Plus 3 mechanism, China looking to engage unilaterally with ASEAN. We've also seen um, Australia, the United States, engaging with ASEAN as an organization, as well as all their extensive bilateral um, cooperation on health and um, cross-border trade and economic measures as well. So I think there has been a race uh, from outside partners to, to engage with ASEAN to be seen to be taking the lead in helping the region. I think that reflects this broader regional competition we're seeing between the U.S. and China specifically, but I guess more broadly, um, it's China and a lot of Western allies and, and Asian allies of the U.S. too. So I think we've seen that play out, um, but I'm not sure how effective uh, you know, those meetings have been. The ASEAN Plus Three with um, China, Japan and Korea did lead to the, the formation of this fund to help ASEAN respond, but it was mostly repurposed existing funds rather than new money or new mechanisms. Um, and I think there's a sense that it's hard to get more uh, value out of these engagements with ASEAN as an organization, but countries are still keen to do it because of the, the diplomatic power they think they can get from being seen to be front and center at a time when regional competition um, between great powers is as, as competitive and as feisty as it's been for a long time. Do you think the COVID-19 crisis provides an opportunity for ASEAN to strengthen the grouping? In these unprecedented times, could this be an occasion for unprecedented action? I think it's unlikely. I'm not one of those people who believes that crises are opportunities. I'm pretty sure they're crises. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of firefighting that every country is facing now in health terms also the economic uh, recovery, and you can't even get onto the economic recovery until countries are through the pandemic and we're nowhere near being there yet. So I think there's still so much to do day to day that there isn't much of an opportunity right now. But I think later on, of course, there's, there's ways to examine the response and see if more can be done. But I think we have to recognize there were a number of uh, regional pandemic response initiatives and plans, and none of that really was acted upon. So until and as when uh, the governments of the region are willing to pool more sovereignty and invest much more money, I think it's unlikely we're going to see ASEAN taking a more concerted response. Um, but I think hopefully there'll come a time in, you know, maybe next year, later this year, at least in a few months, when 
governments do start to reflect on the need for more cross-border cooperation as a way to manage these things better. But I still think we're very much in the unilateral phase of the response where it's really every nation for themselves. The COVID-19 firefighting is taking place amid escalating U.S.-China tensions that have both economic and security repercussions for ASEAN countries. How do you see ASEAN positioning itself in this geopolitical tussle? Again, I think it comes down to this question of pool sovereignty and you know, the countries of, of Southeast Asia are not at that level where they're comfortable doing that. So we've seen kind of the same unilateral responses for the most part, um, but we've also seen um, a willingness to have a certain united front from ASEAN, but at a very low level. So to find the common platform, um, it has to be pretty weak in terms of just calling for no intervention in internal affairs, uh, in calling for peaceful resolution of disputes. Um, that's the only the highest level at which all the 10 member countries can really come together and agree on joint statements um, relating to China's actions in the region and America's actions and the consequences of that intensified U.S.-China competition. So I think we've seen the same issues uh, with some of the countries that are closer to China, maybe uh, Laos and Cambodia chiefly, really sort of dragging their heels. Others like Vietnam pushing ahead. Um, some like Indonesia and Malaysia, I would argue, probably trying to just bury their heads in the sand a bit or, or step out of the firing line and not really commit either way. So I think we've seen those, the same patterns of behavior um, that we saw before the pandemic kind of repeating themselves. And I think the desire to have consensus within ASEAN and the desire to, to not pull too much sovereignty limit the extent of the organization to really play a leading role in resolving anything, but it still remains the kind of foremost regional body which round, um, you know, the US and China and others come together in these meetings. But I think those meetings have really lost their impact, um, given that the US, you know, no longer in the Trump era attends at the highest level. I think there's a sense that um, the US-China tensions are not going to be resolved within sort of ASEAN-related forums, but it's going to be about what happens in the U.S. election. It's going to be about what happens in Jiangnan High and Beijing, how the Communist Party manages the relationship with the U.S. And I think in that respect, ASEAN as a grouping is a bit of a side player. But I think obviously the countries of Southeast Asia individually have a really big role to play in terms of how they approach their relationships, both with China and the U.S. But if you look around the region, a lot of the governments are currently deeply um involved in not just the pandemic response, but broader domestic political and social difficulties. So obviously in Malaysia, we've seen the change of government and possible new elections. But um, you look around the region more broadly, Myanmar elections coming up. Um, there are a lot of domestic issues that governments are facing right now. So I don't think they're in a great position to be getting into the, the bigger great power game. They're really focusing their energies on trying to come through the pandemic and then deal with these other deeper domestic, political, social and economic challenges. That was Ben Bland, director of the Southeast Asia Program at the Lowy Institute. When we come back, a look at the economic recovery prospects for ASEAN and a radical proposal to cure the economic fallout from the virus. This is Spotlight, BFM 89.9. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Spotlight on the Morning Run. Our focus today is on ASEAN and how it's responding as a bloc to the COVID-19 pandemic. Earlier in the show, Ben Bland of the Lowy Institute didn't hold out much hope 
that COVID-19 would immediately result in innovative action from ASEAN. Tansri Munir Majid, chairman of the CIMB ASEAN Research Institute, or CHARI, has a slightly different perspective. He believes that ASEAN must and can act decisively to prevent greater economic fallout. Tansri, how quickly do you think ASEAN economies can bounce back from the pandemic? And what kind of factors are going to influence the recovery? I mean, I'll take an example, Vietnam. Vietnam is, is of course, uh, actually in terms of handling the pandemic, uh, the most successful ASEAN country. Vietnam is zero deaths, you know, from, from COVID-19, yet its economy is affected. Why? Because, uh, you know, the more open the economy is, the more affected it is. And Vietnam is an open economy. And then world trade uh, is slumping, uh, world demand is slumping, and Vietnam is affected. But this first half number, you know, is about 1.9, or close to 2%, you know, growth year on year. But Vietnam is pretty good when everyone else is looking at negative numbers. And everyone's looking at 2021 to recover. And in looking at 2021, uh, they are looking mainly at China. Because China is the second largest economy in the world. Its uh, second quarter numbers were 3.2% growth year on year. ASEAN economies on their own uh, cannot really get even this U recovery everyone's talking about. However, if they did more things together, more integrated things together, they can come out of it better than separately. From your perspective, which ASEAN economies stand the best chance of bouncing back quickly and which ones might struggle for a longer period of time? Um, taking into account all the external factors that we're looking at, like you mentioned, China and global trade. A lot of these things are, are projections. You know, the projections of growth, GDP forecast uh, for Vietnam, for uh, 21 is pretty strong, you know, 6.8%. Uh, don't forget, when you talk about 6.8%, it's based on the last year's numbers. The denominator has not grown as fast as previously or has become negative. And therefore, you know, you look very positive based on that uh, denominator. So, you know, you have uh, good numbers looking for Malaysia too, you know, 65 after expected minus 4%. But I'm not enamoured of those numbers because I think uh, they are projections and the projections are based on assumptions and the assumptions are based on, on recoveries of markets and confidence. And If there was a second wave, all these projections, where are they going to be? So it's, it's a very uncertain picture, but you know, by and large, all ASEAN countries, uh, based on the calmest and, and most positive of assumptions, can have a plus number. Given the different levels of economic development within ASEAN, how can it attract investment that would benefit the region as a whole instead of just individual countries? I think, you know, again, ASEAN uh, suffers uh, from a surfeit of overconfidence from numbers which make it look better than all other regions. For example, U.S. investment in ASEAN in, in aggregate is larger in, than total U.S. investment in China. That's even before all the troubles that U.S. is having with China or China's having with the U.S., you know. So, so ASEAN is, is an investment destination of many investors uh, because it is the future. I think it's the fifth largest economy in the world now, nominal terms. It's past three trillion mark. You know, when you say fifth largest, you're talking about an economy which is larger than India, larger than the U.K., only Japan, Germany, China, and the U.S. is larger than ASEAN if, ASEAN was a single economy. ASEAN has got a sweet spot 
but is it using it well? It can use it better. It was better integrated. And there is the offer of a single market and production base that was promised in 2015 when the ASEAN Economic Community was established. Before we talk more about plans for the single market, what has ASEAN as a bloc done so far in response to COVID-19? I think the popular perception is, you know, ASEAN's done very little. Uh, They have done a few things. They set up something called the ASEAN Coordinating Council Working Group on Public Health Emergencies. Uh, This working group actually had its first meeting on the 31st of March. And, you know, this is to work out how to respond uh, to the, the pandemic. That same month, you know, ASEAN economic ministers adopted the ASEAN Hanoi Action Plan. Now, this action plan was to strengthen ASEAN economic cooperation and supply chain connectivity. Now, this is uh, very important uh, because there were so many disruptions in supply chains during the pandemic. I'll give you some examples, you know, about the health-related measures that they implemented. For example, Malaysia. Uh, we lead the ASEAN Emergency Operations Centre Network for Public Health Emergencies, uh, which provides daily situational updates to all ASEAN countries, uh, information sharing on COVID-19. Philippines provides a report that includes COVID-19 situation overview, and Cambodia are actually the the chair of all these things. So they they are keeping track of what's happening and they share information. And coming back to the ASEAN Economic Community, has COVID-19 derailed the path to integration that has been charted out? Will it take even longer for the AEC to become a reality? Because ASEAN, we're not a institutionalized community to the extent that the EU is. And the EU too has problems about how to respond to this pandemic. So ASEAN has its weaknesses. Uh, you know, it's not been able to, apart from what I just described, to act together decisively. What we feel should happen, even at the public health care stage of the response, there's much more that can be done. Uh, we have worked on a proposal that uh, would have been submitted to all ASEAN leaders uh, this week. Uh, it is a 45-page report called Pathway to Recovery and Hope for ASEAN. This is a private sector uh, initiative uh, that has been put together by the ASEAN Business Advisory Council. And there are in that report uh, 225 detailed proposals uh, that need to be followed through. And we think the only way that ASEAN can really follow through with those uh, detailed proposals, which is not by carrying on in the same old way of having working groups, meetings, subcommittees, committees, and so on and so forth, because lives and livelihoods are at stake. Time is of the essence. Action must be fast. Therefore, we say there must be set up an ASEAN high-level special commission inferior only to ASEAN leaders that can make decisions fast, which can call for inputs to check against the proposals that we make, the recommendations that we want to see happen. We also say we are willing to set up a special business advisory board to help that special commission execute, implement the proposals that we've put forth and how best to do so. We want action. These proposals are certainly ambitious, but how certain are you that there is political will to push this through? They could just as easily become bogged down by the wheels of ASEAN bureaucracy. The point is, you know, you have to push, and this is the time, uh, this is the moment, 
and we have to push. Yes, we expect uh, the, the bureaucracy and the people who have been making decisions who are not going to be happy if it's going to be taken off their hands and other people are going to make those decisions. That's why we're seeking the imprimatur of the leaders. They have given us that imprimatur. Now we have to work out on the details. Now, how do you work out the details? It can be taken around the Mulberry Bush, you know. I can see it. The committee says the senior economic officials meetings that's got a lot of uh, influence and power, they might feel aggrieved uh, and so on. But we're going to say, look, you know, you can have your, your role, but the role is to report on action. But the Secretary General has been very open uh, to this. He's open, he's going to push these ideas up to the leaders and we're going to push. It's not going to be easy. You're right. Uh, it has not been easy before, uh, but I think it might be a trifle easier now. In a way, it is a moment of truth for us young. Some people say, do not waste a good crisis. Yes, in a way, that's what it is. And it is an opportunity to reform and strengthen the functioning of ASEAN. That was Tansri Munir Majid, chairman of the CIMB ASEAN Research Institute, ending the program on a determined note. Will ASEAN leaders heed the business community's proposals? We'll be keeping a close eye on developments. That's all from this episode of Spotlight on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.